as long as it's active, it doesn't matter what you do. So just finding something that you love and you'll stick with over the long term, that's what creates healthy habits. And that's what makes the changes that you actually want. Figure out something. You can try a bunch of different things, see what sticks. If it doesn't stick, move on and just keep trying. Welcome to the 10 podcast by Train Like a Gymnast, a podcast for formerly competitive gymnasts, dancers, and cheerleaders to come together as a community to realize their potential. Together, we go farther. My name's Danielle Gray, and I'm the founder of Train Like a Gymnast, here to help you become the best version of yourself physically, mentally, and emotionally. On Tenno, I sit down with Olympians, Cirque du Soleil artists, former elites and collegiate athletes, stunt performers, and fitness professionals to show you that you're not alone. Want to win a free coaching session from me? If you've loved everything you've heard in this episode or love Tenno in general, we want to hear from you, and we may even feature you in a future episode. So all you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, screenshot that review, and then send it to team at trainlikeagymnast.com. That's team at trainlikeagymnast.com to be entered. If you win, we'll contact you to schedule your session. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to come on the 10-0 podcast and talk to our listeners, Laura. And am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Cumberly? Cumberly, yeah. yeah. That's actually pretty impressive. <laughs> Very cool. And you're a doctor of physical therapy. And you're yes. also on our T-Lag team. How have you been liking that so far? What do you think about the girls, the community? I like it a lot, actually. Um, I was able to hop on that first call and I was like, hey, this is something that I have been wanting for a while, just to kind of get to know people who train similarly, just because there's not as many people when you go into a regular gym, you don't see people doing handstands, even though you really want to be doing handstands. <laughs> so yeah, I like it a lot. We'll get into that too, because I do have a question about that, because I'm that person and you're like, oh, you're showing off. But I'm like, this is just how I train. But we'll get into that. I want yeah. to start off with kind of what is your background in gymnastics and how did that get you to where you are today? So I started gymnastics when I was four. My mom tried to wait till I was five. That did not work because I wanted to be like my older sister. I competed through college, always loved the sport. That was kind of my life growing up. I was not ready to retire, but you kind of get to an age and you're like, well, I, I can't really do it anymore. And so I continued to incorporate some of the aspect of like the lifting and things like that, that you learn in college. But I was like, something's missing here. So I kind of just started to incorporate a little bit more gymnastic movements. And that's kind of where I found that balance. So gymnastics history is more through college. The gym that I went to wasn't super serious or anything like that. And I just competed through level 10. That's still, I mean, that's still a pretty big deal. Like a lot of people don't make it to level 10. So the people who, who did reach a high level, they're like, yeah, well, I did this, I did this. And then everybody else is like, well, I did classes. <laughs> so everybody has their own version of normal or what is great or what is not great. Yeah. Just know that you are awesome. You still are awesome. And you have a lot of people who look up to you. You've got a following. And I wanted to know kind of how you, okay, so you think, okay, something's missing. How did you know to reincorporate or reintroduce uh, that gymnastics movement into your training again? So I actually, I don't know if you've heard of Lynn Slay on Instagram, Lindsay Kamerick. Yeah. yeah. So she just like stumbled across my explore page on Instagram. And I was just like, hold up. People actually train this way. 
this is how I'm wanting to train, but I've been too self-conscious to train that way. And just so following more people who train that similarly, I was like, hey, I can do this again. And that kind of just gave me the confidence to be able to incorporate that into workouts and just be like, I don't really care what people think. You still kind of timed your gym sessions at an odd time, but you're just like, if one person sees me, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, just slowly incorporating those movements, getting more comfortable with it. And then eventually you're just like, I'll just do a handstand wherever I feel like. And exactly. it just becomes more normal. Seeing it gave you that confidence, but why did you feel self-conscious? Did you feel judged? Did somebody say something to you one time when you've done something or what made you No feel one really said anything. I just didn't think you could at a normal gym because growing up, you never go to a normal gym right. and you just see people training, lifting weights and doing typical gym activities. And so that's just, I assume that's what you were supposed to do. <laughs> I was never told it was okay to work out in different ways. And then when I saw that, I was like, that's what I need to do. That's mm -hmm. what's missing. So what do you say to those people who go to a traditional gym or they run because that's what they have available to them or they think that's what they're supposed to do, just like you did, mm -hmm. even if they don't enjoy it? Like if we're like, eh, I don't really want to lift weights, but I guess I have to because that's what you do at a gym. What do you say? Yeah. I mean, I'm all for someone finding their passion. As long as it's active, it doesn't matter what you do. So just finding something that you love and you'll stick with over the long term, that's what creates healthy habits and the consistency. And that's what makes those lifestyle changes. And that's what makes the changes that you actually want. Figure out something. You can try a bunch of different things, see what sticks. If it doesn't stick, move on and just keep trying things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of a theme for this season. We've we talked to a couple people, another T Lag team member, I believe her episode will be out after you. And we were discussing, you know, just if you're doing something that you enjoy, you're going to do it more often. And that's my whole philosophy is find something mm -hmm. that you like to do because if it feels like a chore, you're going to not want to do it. You're going to hate it. You're not going to enjoy it. It's not going to stick for a long time. And then you're not going to see the results and you're going to think, oh, I'm a failure instead of trying something that you love to do. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to do this. And then you do it more often, you get the results and you get better. Exactly, yeah. Does that align a little bit with your own training philosophy for yourself or when you're working with you know, your PT clients? What's that philosophy and style that you believe in? So with me personally working out, I definitely incorporate things that I enjoy. I work out because I enjoy it. I mean, I understand that there's aspects of it that I'm not really going to want to do, like rehabbing my shoulder. Not very fun, but I know the end result and I know it's going to get me back to doing handstands more consistently, ninja training, that kind of thing. So I'm willing to put in that work to see those results. As with working with my patients and clients, it's a little bit different dynamic in the clinic because I am in a general outpatient orthopedic facility. So most people aren't very active, especially in the area that I work in. So just trying to get them to do something is important. And I've had that conversation with a few of them where it's just like, oh, I want to get back into working out, but I really don't like doing this. And I'm like, it doesn't matter what you do. And I kind of just reinforce that as long as it's something active and you're moving, it's fine. But it's definitely like with the stages of change, you have to be open to and willing to change. So that's kind of that barrier there that I see at work specifically, unfortunately. It's that willingness to be coached or to have change. Because change is uncomfortable. Change is difficult and we don't like being uncomfortable 
just as, as humans in general, we avoid that pain and we seek pleasure. But if you think about all of the pain, most painful times in your life, or there was probably some kind of change associated with it. Yeah. In, through pain equals change. So for those who don't know, can you give us a little background on, you know, why you're rehabbing your shoulder? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it was a long time coming because I remember thinking back on it. I did have a little bit of shoulder pain at the tail end of my gymnastics career. And then when I started doing things like muscle ups and things like that, but I just rehabbed it because, you know, just strengthen it and it'll be fine. And, and then I took some time, I got into Ninja training. So Ninja Warrior, like the American Ninja Warrior show. And I took a break from that when I started working just to kind of get used to living in a different area working for the first time full-time in my life that kind of thing and saving money to go to a ninja gym and so I took like three months off ish and I went back one day and I was super excited did a little bit too much that day and towards the end of that I was like my shoulder's a little fatigued eh, it's fine it's just sore and then over the course of the following week I was like it feels like it's about to pop out of the socket and so I then rehabbed it I strengthened it I had some coworkers work on it I let it sit for a while and I was like, well, I think I'm going to need surgery. And then finally I had the opportunity to do that earlier this year. Yeah. So they went in thinking it was just a posterior labrum tear. And then it ended up being a tape four slap repair. So that includes like the biceps tendon, posterior labrum as well. And then it was a full thickness infraspinatus tear, which is a muscle of the rotator cuff. Jeez. And they also just shaved a little bit off the clavicle while they were in there just because that's normal to have a little bit of an extra growth, yeah, on your um, collarbone, yeah, so oh, that's, that's what that was, <laughs> oh, man, so no, I am, yeah, I'm five months out now, so, five months out, yeah, yeah, you should be, yeah, you're getting back to it, I know that feeling, because yeah. mine, I just tweaked it again last week, and, you know, it's to the point sometimes where your phone feels too heavy, even walking, swinging your arm, it feels, mm-hmm. you know, yep. Right like how 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 is my arm not going to be with me anyway yep (laughs) yeah definitely have had those feelings before okay so yours was so serious that you had to have surgery there was no way to just rehab it back to full health I had been rehabbing it for about a year before I did have surgery on it and typically they say after a few months of conservative care, if you're failing conservative rehab, then you're appropriate for surgery. I just never really formally went to PT and I was like, because right. I have a PT and PTs are terrible patients. <laughs> so yeah, I just extended that a little bit longer than I probably could have or should have. But I mean, I was able to maintain a pretty high level of function and it rarely impacted my daily activities. So I was able to do that without significant impact on my daily life. That's what I'm scared about. I don't know if I should get surgery or if I should do, because that was 2016 where I tore mm-hmm. like flares up again. So I don't know if that's like, mm, I don't know if it's worth it. But besides, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're having some kind of pain that you might be ignoring or, you know, you're not listening to your body because a lot of PTs talk about pain being a good thing because pain is like an alarm system and it mm-hmm. shows you, hey, there's a problem here. And then you need to look into why is there a problem there? What are you yes. doing training that's, that's causing that? So elaborate a little bit more because I'm not a PT. I am a PT, but not the same kind of PT. So elaborate more on why we should be grateful for pain. I do agree with that. It's an alarm system. If you listen to slight discomfort, well, slight discomfort and like muscle fatigue and things like that are a little bit different. So if it's a different kind of pain, if that makes sense, because there are different types, like muscle soreness can technically be a pain, but that's like you're getting stronger kind of pain. But if it's an abnormal, I guess, pain or an alarming pain, 
listen to it and take a step back, figuring out what you're doing wrong, seek an additional consult, whether it's from a PT, a medical provider, someone along those lines who can help you identify what's going on and address it before it becomes a more serious issue. Because if I did that with my shoulder as well, for example, probably wouldn't have had all of those things. (laughs) So yeah. Understood. And I know you're in Georgia, right? Yes. So if somebody is listening to this and they're nearby, what's the general area that you have patients come to you from? I am on the east side of Atlanta, so kind of around that area. So if anybody's in Atlanta and needs some help, <laughs> definitely. I'm definitely. here. Yes, yeah. Atlanta is here for you. So you mentioned you've got ninja training, all that stuff. So now you're getting back. You're five months out. Have you been on the show? Do you want to be on the show? What kind of sparked that and what are your goals with it? So I did compete last year in the Atlanta episodes of season 11. They did not air my run, but that was a really good experience. I had just really started ninja training at that point. One of the producers actually reached out and was just like, are you going to audition or like submit anything? And I was like, I wasn't, but I guess I will. (laughs) So I had that opportunity. It was in Atlanta, so I didn't have to take any time off work or anything like that. So I was really grateful for that opportunity or else I probably wouldn't have been able to do it because I was just starting like residency and things like that. So I would like to go on the show again, as long as my shoulder is healthy, just because it was such a great experience. The community that's there is amazing. So that was kind of how I got on. When you're on the course, you're like, "Mm, this is real. (laughs) Yeah. It's very similar actually to, well, to some extent, similar to the gymnastics community because it is an individualized sport. You're competing against each other, but you're competing against yourself more so than anything. So there definitely is some connection between those. That's a natural kind of flow. If anybody's close to retiring from gymnastics, then just go to Ninja. I mean, like you're right there. You don't need to retire. It's the same. It's a lot of fun too. So (laughs) you have an excuse to climb on things. Totally, totally. So what about that lights you up the most? Do you feel like yourself when you're working out, when you're training, when you're going through a course, what makes it enjoyable for you? I think it's an aspect of the challenge of it. It's just you there controlling what you do. I mean, obviously now they're incorporating like some moving obstacles and things like that, but (laughs) it's just something to challenge and push your body to the limits, I think is more what I enjoy out of it. And it's like you're showcasing your hard work that you do. And it's just fun to be able to move in those different ways and to be able to do those things. Absolutely. So for those of you who are listening, you cannot see, but right now, or if you follow her on Instagram, you definitely know what her apartment looks like. And holy guacamole, how did you set this up? Because I'm looking at like a salmon ladder, essentially, slash squat rack, slash things that you can do, bungee, bounce handstands, you got a pull-up bar on the wall where you can do leg lifts and pull-ups and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. How did you set this up? Did you do it by yourself? What made you be like, hmm, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to drill into the walls and because it's brick on one side, isn't it? Yeah, it's brick on one side. But you're not drilling into the brick. No, I'm not drilling into the brick. How did you set this up? And did your landlord approve it? Like, what's, what's the deal? How can I do this? So basically, when I was moving to Atlanta after PT school, I was just like, do I really want to be spending money on a gym membership and have to drive there because traffic around here is terrible? And I was like, is there a way that I can have a gym in my apartment and it be a reasonable cost? 
And so I was like, if I can do it under X amount of dollars, I'm going to do it. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to build myself a squat rack, because that's going to be cheaper than buying one, I might as well make it a salmon ladder because (laughs) that makes sense. And I was like, I'll just get like a loft style apartment. It's fine. So my dad's an engineer. So he was able to help design the squat rack. I obviously gave him the dimensions of like the rungs and things like that. We were able to come up with this design. And then it was like a week that I had before I was moving. And I was taking like my boards a few days later or like somewhere in that week. And he's like, it's not possible. And I'm like, we'll figure out a way. So <laughs> luckily I had planned my studying. So it was like the last couple of days weren't bad. We were able to spend the days building the squat rack, salmon ladder. And then I did not get approval for this from my landlord because I was like, I'm not attaching things to the wall besides the pull-up bar. And then I did ask about that and the holes in it aren't that big. So as long as I fill them, it's fine. And then you just patch it up, right? Yeah. Yeah, you just patch it up. And I've actually moved this from a different apartment before as well. So this this is the second apartment that it's been in. So I just kind of slowly built things up besides getting this salmon ladder squat rack. Yeah. And I just really added some other things as I got more things. And That's yeah. so awesome. If you want to know what we're talking about, go follow her at Paradigm of Perfection on Instagram. And I'll, I'll have her repeat that at the end. And it's also in the show notes if you want to just click around and lurk her while you're listening to us talk. But I did want to not backtrack because we didn't really touch on it yet. But I know when we were talking about what we wanted to discuss during this episode, you did mention that in the past, when you're in gymnastics, I guess, you had experience with an eating disorder. So I actually, I feel like a typical, stereotypical gymnast would have it like an eating disorder as a kid. Mine developed more towards the end of my gymnastics career when I was in college and then after, just because when you're like with a transition from high school to college, that was a very difficult time for me. Just with the change, I moved away from my parents and it was a good thing in the long run, but it definitely took a toll. And then just trying to, because you're in control about what types of things you're eating and all of that stuff. So just with all those changes, I did develop an eating disorder with like a combination of restriction and purging and things like that. And so just kind of working through that after. And it's like you're conscious throughout the whole entire time that you know what you're doing. And it just takes a lot of time and patience and self-work to work through that. That's what I want to dig into here is because we've had more than once, I would say maybe about at least five guests on this podcast who have discussed this. And so it's, it's not just like a one-off or uncommon. I think it's very common in gymnastics culture or athletes who are striving for perfection. So I want to dig a little deeper because if anybody is experiencing or behaving in these certain ways, I want this to be like a red flag for them if they're not even aware or they're in denial. So to know what you were doing and then what finally made you change or beat it, I guess, in a sense. So when I started, when I was in undergrad, I knew it wasn't as, I guess, frequent, I should say. It was more like on a like restriction side of things. And I did end up having a stress fracture because of it. So that was kind of like a little red flag there. Still didn't, that wasn't enough though. Nothing really was like a fast change. Does that make sense? It was just more so I knew I needed to stop because in order to serve my patients best, I needed to be my best, if that makes sense. 
and kind of be in control. I mean, the eating disorder is like an aspect of control, but I wanted to be healthy so I could teach my patients to be healthy because they're coming to you at a time of vulnerability. And it's just like, if you're not there a hundred percent, then to the best of your ability. So my whole goal with even just creating the Instagram page and things like that was to give me like accountability to work towards being my best self so I can help my patients best. I think that was like the beginning part. So I was just like, okay, so there's this accountability here. I need to continuously put work in for myself. And I was listening to podcasts. I was following different people online. And it was just like a very slow process of learning how to forgive myself. And it was just a lot of self-work, I guess. And one day I was kind of like, well, I'm done with, I forget what it was specifically, but I abuse laxatives. So I remember that day I was just like, well, I can't do it. Like, and I had a plan of like when I was going to stop because I was going to ease myself off of them, if that makes sense. And I was super close to that. And I was just like, I'm done. And that was, I think the day before I moved to Atlanta. And that was when I was starting my, I guess, adult life and my career and things like that. But like still after that, you're still working on it. And it's been even over like the last year or so, it's still work, but like it's not nearly the same. And I think it's going to be a lifelong thing, but it's just learning yourself and learning the self-talk, things like that was really where I found the most help. I think it's ingrained in us also from such a young age that X is never enough. You can always be better. You can always do better. And so then that manifests once nobody's telling us what to do anymore as an adult and it turns into different things, whether it be being a helicopter parent, a controlling manager, or trying to control your own body, working out, you know, things like that. It can kind of slip into, you did mention something about forgiveness. I do want to touch on that because I always talk to clients about you need to be your own best friend. So if a friend talked to you the way you talk to yourself, would you be friends with that person? A lot of times people are like, (laughs) no, get out of here. So I tell people to treat yourself like your own best friend and then give yourself grace. So what does that forgiveness look like to you? I mean, really like my mom, or I think it was both my parents growing up, they taught me just try your best and you can't ask more for yourself. And so that statement always stuck with me. And especially forgiveness for like the eating disorder, for example, if I ate too much, it's like, okay, that happened. And why was that? And what can I do next time to not necessarily binge or things like that? Just talking to yourself in a different way to keep the progress versus just getting hard on yourself. And I mean, obviously you're going to have those times where you're just frustrated with yourself and you're mad at yourself. But once you calm down and just like reflecting on those times and you're just like, okay, what contributed to this? And just kind of breaking it down and more of like an, just analyzing things a little bit more and taking a step back, I guess, more so, so you can forgive yourself and work towards getting better and that kind of thing. Right. So you did this all on your own. You didn't have anybody point anything out. So there was no external source or influence. There was not an external source or influence. Towards the very end, I did reach out to someone through Instagram, actually, did purchase their program or whatever. And I think it might have been like a three-month program. And after like two weeks, I was like, this isn't worth it. This isn't what I need. This was stuff that I already knew and things that I already did myself. 
And so I think it might have been helpful earlier on, but at that point, it was not worth it. So yes, there was a little bit of outside, but it didn't do anything. It just kind of frustrated me, I guess, because I was like, I wanted this to help more and it didn't necessarily, but that's a mistake that I made that I was very frustrated with the financial burden of it. And I was like, I'm investing in myself for this first time ever. And I was like, you know, I took that step and I could view it as lost money, but I took that chance on myself. So still frustrating to this day, but not as frustrating as it could be. (laughs) And when I asked that question, majority of people say that they discovered it on their own. It's like, Mm -hmm. we already have all the answers, just like with getting fit, just like training gymnastics, just like working out. You know what you're supposed to do. You know what you should be doing. And it's a matter of execution, accountability, having that structure and having a plan. Because if you don't have a plan, you have no steps to take. If you don't have that accountability, it doesn't matter if you do anything. So you have to trust yourself that, sure, you can work with somebody to help you through it. But, and I tell my, my clients this all the time as a coach, I can't force you to do anything. All I can do is guide you the direction so that you find the answer yourself. Because I can tell you the answers, but what good would that do? Just like if you asked a teacher in school, what's the answer to this? They could tell you, or they could guide you to how to figure it out yourself. Because you already know it's already inside you for mm-hmm. anything, whether it be an eating disorder, whether it be losing weight, whether it be gaining weight, whether it be getting more flexible. Like if you're like, I don't have my splits. I wish I could do that. Well, are you stretching? No. Yeah. <laughs> stretching, yes. <laughs> so it's like, it puts all the responsibility back on you and you have to accept that responsibility if you want change. And the pain of staying the same has to be greater than the pain of change for you to make that step. Definitely. So with everything that we've talked about and all that you've said, I want to ask you a question that we ask everybody who comes on this show is what does it mean to you personally to train like a gymnast? So yes, there is an aspect of consistency, but other sports have that and things like that. That was kind of one of my first thoughts. I think more so for me, the training like a gymnast was more so incorporating the body weight movements. There's almost like a style and an aspect of the form that kind of just trickles in with any movement. I feel like that has something to do with it, with just training like a gymnast, people can kind of somehow pick them out just with the way that we move. And I think it's just more the style and the form and the body weight style movements and those unique combinations that we do that makes us train like a gymnast. Yeah, I totally agree. You can always tell a gymnast body. You just know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hold ourselves, the way we move, it's just very natural. Our mind and our body are connected. So for the last thing here, if you haven't already started to lurk her during this conversation, or if you want to, to work with her, you have questions for her, you want her opinion, or if you want to DM, how can people get a hold of you, follow your journey, and support you? So my Instagram is at Paradigm of Perfection. You can also email me at paradigmofperfection at gmail.com. And then, I mean, I do have an old WordPress blog that is linked to my Instagram, but I haven't posted since I started residency over a year ago and just haven't really picked that back up. But yeah, so Instagram is pretty much the hub for everything. So feel free to like DM, email, anything like that. Perfect. Well, I've loved having you on. Do you have any last words for our listeners before we let you go? I don't think so. Thank you so much for having me on, though. This is a pleasure. 
You're welcome. I hope everyone listening has gotten at least one golden nugget from today or you've related to something that she said. And I hope that this episode makes you 1% better. If you've enjoyed it, please share it with one of your friends. And if you leave a review, you'll hear in the little ad after this that you might win a free coaching session with me. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you so much for listening. Thank you.